Hey, and welcome to The Livingstone, a digital ministry of Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm Annabeth Cross. And I'm Chrissy Tatum-Williamson. This is the third episode in our Lenten podcast series, where we're asking honest questions. Questions asked by members of our own congregation here at Greystone, from some of our youngest to some of our oldest members. And today we're asking a lot of questions, more than we've asked in the past couple of episodes of just our one or two main questions questions we focused on, but this past Sunday during worship, we invited our congregation to respond to the question, what questions do you ask in the dark? In response to the story of Nicodemus asking Jesus his own faith questions, we asked this of our congregants to know, what what are the questions you ask in the dark? Because often our deepest, most honest questions come in the dark of night. They may keep us awake a little too long. So today we thought it'd be kind of fun to share some of these questions and talk about them a little bit as we get started for this next episode of Honest Questions for our Lenten season. I think it's important that um, you didn't say we're going to answer the questions. Oh, yeah, no. We're We're just talking about them. (laughs) We're very much just discussing and talking about them um, because, like we've said before, Christine and I do not have all the answers. Nope. Um, And, you know, there some of these questions we ask ourselves. Um, We have these questions. I know I have a lot of these questions that keep me up at night. My mind is always running, of course, right before I'm trying to go to sleep. Right. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's really hard to slow my mind down. Um, But we've kind of broken up some of these questions into kind of different categories of what the root of that question may be to talk about them together. Um, And some of them are kind of fun at the end. But um, so really, we're just going to kind of share what these questions were and then talk about them. I mean, yeah. Let's do it. That's about it. Let's do it. Um, so that we had a lot of questions asked that kind of had things to do. Really, the root of the question is questions about fear and anxiety, questions that have to do with our own mortality, right. um, which is, you know, kind of what appropriate for Lynn also. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but rooted in fear and anxiety, I mean, questions, some of those were, will my family be all right? Why are there so many disasters in the world? Why did my dog get sick or die? Why did my family member die? What happens when we have unjust leaders in our world and things that, you know, the fears that could lead to other world disasters happening? Mm. Um, yeah. All questions I'm sure that we have all had at some point in our life or will have if we haven't already. But rooted in those questions, our fear and anxiety of the things we experience in this lifetime. Mm. You know, one of the things that um, I think is so important about this bracket of questions is that in so many ways, fear, anxiety, health, and mortality, I mean, they're, those all characterize the human condition. Yeah. So like behind some of these are like another human thing, which is a desire to know outcomes. Like we want to know how things are going to unfold usually. So, well, I don't even say usually, cause I don't want to assume that my own experience is norm. But mm-hmm. like when I have questions like this, it's because I want to make sure I can be prepared for whatever is coming. Yeah. Um, especially if it's something bad or major. Like I just don't want to be caught off guard by it. Um, and the reality is there are things in life that we just can't prepare for. Um, and sometimes if we know that they're coming, uh, for example, I'm thinking about um, like the last question about uh, the one that you mentioned about if we have leaders who um, who scare us. And yeah. I think no matter where we are on any kind of political spectrum, we can identify with that. Um, 
and we worry about the kind of world we're creating um, for our children and grandchildren. Um, you know, we're all aware of the devastation of the first and second world war. And I think, and this is in the original question, you know, what if world war three happens because of, of some of the leadership that we see in the world today? I don't know. I just, I feel like we all carry that fear, that latent fear of like impending doom. And yeah. Brene Brown talks some about that in her book, but, or one of her books, but, um, but for me, one of the questions behind the questions, uh, and this is kind of where it intersects with faith, is how do we live in a world in which X, Y, and Z are always possible? Hmm. So like, how do we live in a world in which I can't be certain my family is going to be all right? Or um, how do I live in a world in which I know there's going to be a disaster some sometime? Or I know that my dog is not immortal, Right, my cat is not immortal, so I'm going to have to deal with their death at some point. Um, same with family members. Um, and when I think about the questions that way, and also full disclosure, like uh, most of my questions that keep me up at night and the things that prevent me from being able to turn my brain off are usually rooted in anxiety and fear. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's very real. Um, I remember being in college. I was probably a freshman or a sophomore, and I had a friend. I think her name was Kim. And we were walking out to the car, um, my car in the parking lot. And um, I was really worried about something. And I don't even remember what it was that I was worried about. And she said to me, Chrissy, you're a Christian, right? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, worrying is a sin. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> and, she goes, and she goes, yeah, you know what Jesus says in Matthew. Consider the lilies. Do not worry. You know, think about how much God cares for you um, or cares for them, uh, the grass and the flowers. Um how much more does God care for you? Yeah. Well, if worrying is a sin, then I've sinned a lot. I know. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of confession to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, like you said, that's really the number one thing that is behind my questions, my questions, but also, I mean, why I really can't sleep at night. I started getting sleep anxiety when I was in college mm -hmm. and in seminary over things like the big test coming the next day. Right. I mean, it's, it's these big questions of like, World War three, are family members dying? Like, I, those things loom, mm -hmm. but so do the little things too. And I think sometimes we are too afraid to even ask questions about the small things in our lives that give us anxiety and fear because they may not seem big enough for other people, like in comparison to other people's problems or questions. Right. Um, so even though we've asked some really big questions, I mean, some of even the smaller things we worry about, it's okay to be fearful and anxious about them. It's okay to worry about them. Yep. Even if you think they may not be as big of a deal as other people may, like they're a big deal to you. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I still some, like if I do, you know, have a really big thing coming up the next day, I have questions about it and I have fear and anxiety about that. Um, still, but yeah, I think there's, I think naming all those things and recognizing it's okay to ask all of the, all of these questions we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Um, when we ask the question, like, what are the questions you ask in the dark? I mean, what are the things that you try to keep hidden? What are the things that, yes, they come in the dark of night, but like also what are you afraid to ask? Yeah. Is also a part, important part of this conversation too. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's, um, uh, while we're talking about this first section on the questions that we felt like were rooted in fear, anxiety, mortality, health, um, I want to be really clear because the church's history on this isn't always um isn't always clear. Um, 
but I feel like there are some, there are some issues of mental health and physical health Mm -hmm. that, um, that really are at play here. And, um, I think there are some spiritual strategies that can help, um, with managing some of those things, but I don't think, um, not, but I don't think, I also think, um, seeking out the help of professional mental health clinicians um, and physicians, you know, that's really important because our anxiety and our fears and um, our, our sense of kind of depression, those things can get to a place where um, we can't pray them away. Yeah. And, um, and I think that, that uh, Christian leaders need to say that more um, because a lot of people of faith really suffer and struggle and they feel like, they should be able to figure this stuff out, just them and God. And while I do believe spirituality and spiritual practices can help and are an important piece of the puzzle, um, I think so are those professional people um, who can help us deal with things like anxiety, depression, et cetera. In the same way that we would go to a doctor for blood pressure medication. Yeah. Like it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to use all the resources. Um, but, you know, one of the one of the things we talked about early on was the role of scripture and what is the Bible. And, um, you know, I can think of a season in life pretty recently for me where I felt like everything was up in the air. And um, and that's a very stressful place for people who like to plan um, <laughs> and people who deal with anxiety. She's looking at me because she knows I plan, <laughs> overly plan everything in my life. <laughs> yeah. But also like... Um, you know, I have struggled with anxiety that needed to be medicated in mm-hmm. different periods of life. And, um, the, the less I know about my future, the more my anxiety kind of ramps up. And so, um, for me, if I'm paying attention to my spirit during those seasons, some of the scriptures I've memorized early in life, they really do trickle back in. And, um, it was interesting for me in, the, in this most recent season that I'm thinking of the the scripture that was on my mind uh, was Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And like, I'm also not a prosperity gospel preacher. Um, and so like, I'm not saying that I, I never took from that, that God was going to bless me with material wealth, but just the idea that even though I didn't know what was coming, um, and even if theologically, I'm not certain that God knew exactly what was coming. You know, I don't know how much God knows. I did believe, and the scripture reminded me, like a refrain or a mantra, it's going to be okay. Like, no matter what happens, if it's the best or the worst, it's going to be okay. Um, and that was just really helpful. Yeah, I think there are, I mean, these are the times when we're asking these questions that we often turn to the verses that we know, right? Yeah. And, you know, the typical memorized Bible verses back to our Bible drill conversation from a yep. couple weeks ago. But, you know, like Jeremiah 29, 11, or, I mean, the list goes on in our classic First Corinthians, you know, all the thing, all the things that come up yeah. um, that we've, are in a way, our, well, our Christian culture has ingrained in us. Yes. Sometimes, you know. It's helpful. We can, it's helpful, yeah. even if sometimes it's harmful <laughs> in right. that way, too, because um, they're not, I think there's a fine line of them, and you can help me clarify this, but, like, I think there's a fine line of using them for like solutions and using right. them for seeking straight up answers, but yeah. like using them for comfort and using them like it's in the same way that like we may use somebody else's prayer mm-hmm. for our like, which I do all the time, like, you know, looking at prayers online or like that someone else has written that mm-hmm. may speak to us. Like mm-hmm. the same goes for scripture too of like, 
it may not be the exact context that the past, the verse was used in, but it's yeah. helpful in just the in, in what you're feeling in that moment. Yeah, um, that's right. You know, I think the Psalms are really helpful in that too, yeah. because there's um, it seems like there is something appropriate that can speak to all the different places where we find ourselves in relationship with God and with one another and with ourselves. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had a professor one time that said, if the whole Bible is God's word to us, the Psalms are our words to God. I was just about to say that because I listened you? to a podcast. Yes, I literally listened to a podcast yesterday that quoted that. Ah. And I was like, I'm going to steal that and use it to watch <laughs> and I just stole it. <laughs> no, that's good. But seriously, I mean, I, Wisdom. <laughs> like, I had thought about that. Or like, I feel like I inherently knew that, but yeah. I hadn't like explicitly heard those words mm-hmm. in that way. And that really spoke to me yesterday even of like, wow, like the people speaking the Psalms, like they're feeling all the feelings, like they are experiencing every situation mm-hmm. and those words can be so comforting for us um, now. And that, I mean, I think that's where the Psalms are a place where we probably turn the most mm-hmm. a lot of times in the Bible because it's because that way it is the words that we speak to or that mm-hmm. people have spoken to God for centuries and anyway but mm-hmm. I thought that was neat so yeah I think that's neat too you know I, I keep coming back to this like the first question will my family be all right and um that question just like sparkles for me because I think it, at the core of it is a is a a basic human vulnerable love. Hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that we, that most everyone wakes up worried about is, are my people going to be okay? Yeah. Like it doesn't. And, and, and sometimes it even becomes like, as we approach the end of life, you know, it, I know that my life is coming to an end at some point. I just want to know that the legacy that I leave is enough to provide mm-hmm. for my family. And I keep, I keep hearing, I love Jillian of Norwich, the uh, mystic. And I keep remembering her words from showings where she, or something about, I can't remember the name of the book, but, um, but where she says, all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. Hmm. And, um, it's, it's a good reminder to me again, in seasons of anxiety and unknowing that somehow, some way God is redeeming, not just each and every one of us, but all of creation. And so to let go and to trust that somehow, whether or not I like it, <laughs> all things will be well. Hmm. But. That's good. Well, kind of to shift into another section of questions that we received from um, people. I'm going to jump down to, this kind of goes along with it, but questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. Hmm. Um, big <laughs> heavy things. Um, just to preface these three things are kind of the core of what our youth talk about here and things that we've been asking. And um, Fuller Youth Institute has studies and research that say that the three main questions that youth are asking are, who am I? Who is God? And who, like, what's my purpose in life? Like, or how do I fit in? Um, So those questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. So we had some people ask, am I worth it? Hmm. Why, Why does God love me? Does God love me? Am I worthy of God? What do people think of me? And kind of tying in the last section, why do I get depressed? Um, I mean, those are all core questions of trying to understand who we are, trying to understand who we, how we fit in mm. and what our purpose is in this world, if we have purpose. Yeah. And even though those are core questions that 
we often think adolescents are dealing with. I mean, we're all dealing with that. Those are core questions of humanity, I think, Yeah. in our relationship with God and with others, too. Yeah. You know, I, I think that am I the am I worth it and am I worthy um, mm. are so important. And I, I keep thinking of scripture that affirm for me the the worth, uh, what's the right word um, or uh, iteration of that word, like the right, uh, that, that affirm that all people and all of creation are indeed worth it mm-hmm. to God. Um, and so, I mean, just starting back at the very beginning, um, there's evidence that we are worth it because I don't believe God would have created if God mm-hmm. decided or had concluded it wasn't worth it. Yeah. Um, and the blessing when God steps back in Genesis 1 and says, it is good, every time God creates, God steps back and says, look at that, it is good. And then that goodness is affirmed in God's liberation of the people um, mm-hmm. from slavery and God's presence with them in the wilderness and God's words through the prophets and the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who is constantly going to people who are unworthy and showing their worth, you know? Um, and, and I think our, our worth is tied to our worthiness and how mm-hmm. we reflect that mission to others. Yeah. Like if we have received the blessing of belovedness, we could spend the rest of our lives trying to show that to everyone we encounter and we'd be busy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Never run out of things to do. <laughs> yeah. And I think the questions of like, well, the question of why does God love us, mm-hmm. I think is also different from does God love me? Yeah. Um, And I mean, like you said, back to the crea- the creation narratives, which, you know, keep going back to that, but you know, being made in God's image, mm-hmm. being like God being creator, but us being the idea of us being co-creators with God, like there's worth in that and yeah. there's value in that. And just the love, the relationships of love. And we talked about this in our last episode of God is love and we are to love God and love others. And I mean, I think that's a easy answer to the questions of does God love me and why does God love me? Yeah. Um, so it's that question of that, but then also like, do we love ourselves? I think that yeah. kind of is the, am I worth it? Am I worthy in a way? Am I enough? Yeah. Asking those questions that we that come up for all of us at some point in whatever mm-hmm. situation we're facing. Um, maybe it's a routine question for each of us. Maybe it just, you know, comes in waves, but we ask like, are we enough? And is God enough for us? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the answer is yes, but the easy yeah. answer. But it, but it's hard to wrestle with that, and it's hard to affirm that when so much of the culture and society we live in is telling us otherwise. Yeah, and I think that's where these questions sit. It's like these are core identity questions mm-hmm. of humanity, but like because the world around us is finding identity, belonging, and purpose, and so many other things that are outside of like what God intended in ways. Or, or things that are putting us down with those questions, like, that's hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, like, that's where spirituality kind of becomes an act of resistance in itself, mm-hmm. is, like, we live in a world that's telling us we have to do things or look a certain way or have a certain um, personality mm-hmm. or succeed in a myriad of, you know, different ways, whereas the gospel and the opening breath of the Bible itself 
is one of inherent blessing. Mm -hmm. Like before you have done anything, God has said you are loved. And like one of the quotes from the book we're reading um, on Sunday nights right now, Searching for Sunday, um, Rachel Held Evans is, I think she's actually quoting Nadia Bolsweber here, but she's talking about the belovedness bestowed or acknowledged or affirmed at baptism. Mm -hmm. Um, And and she says, Jesus did did not begin to be loved at the moment of his baptism, nor did he cease to be loved when his baptism became a memory. Hmm. Baptism simply names the reality of his existing and unending belovedness. And like, this question of love and why love and if love, like I keep, when I think about God and like God's like first and only motivation and like what scripture tells us about God, everything that motivates God's activity always comes back to love. Mm -hmm. And that's how God transcends law and um, transcends social norms and transcends anything that we could ever imagine as God moves forward in time with us, but is is because God understands love in a way that we can't. And um and if the best metaphor that we have for that, or if one of the driving metaphors that Christians use for that is parental love, um and even like love of partner, like I think anyone who's experienced love at all can can bear witness to the reality that like you can't change it. Like you can yeah. you can set up boundaries and and put things in place to kind of protect yourself. But when love arrives, like (laughs) there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. It's there. And so sometimes I wonder what it would be like to love ourselves that way. Um, And I can't say that I've succeeded in that, (laughs) but how different would our lives be if, if everybody could have that gift? Like if we could all see ourselves the way that God does. And really understand unconditional love. Yeah. I mean. Let me know when you figure that out. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful idea. Yeah. Um, But I do think one one of the gifts we can give each other is to be less guarded with how we speak that love. Like, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we're quick to criticize or quick to, to say things that are more comfortable rather than to say, even to our most beloved people, right? Like these are the things that I love about you. And even if it's like normal stuff, like mm-hmm. I love how your eyes look when you decide you're going to eat a piece of chocolate, you know, <laughs> or like, or, or I, you know, just the, the little thing. I love how kind you are. I love how you are selfless or I love how you walk in a room and everybody knows you're there, you know, just like the little things mm-hmm. to say that to each other. Yeah. Can't help but build up confidence. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. We're just talking about the questions today. We're not answering them. <laughs> um, well, moving on to another question. This one's kind of in its own category in a way. Um, but we had a question of, am I doing enough to help my family grow in character and knowledge? And, you know, that's a really good question, we thought. Um, and kind of specific to a to – a, it's specific to like kind of the idea of a nuclear family, but in the same way, like it can apply to us as a congregation. Mm -hmm. It can apply to us as a family of believers of, are we, how do we know that we are doing, are we, we are helping each other grow in character and knowledge and in faith as a communal practice in a way. Mm. 
I love this question. Speaking of love and questions, um, I, I mean, my first response is just to extrovert, and I'm going to be quiet because every time I start talking, Annabeth follows it up with, okay, so moving on. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the question um, implies that the asker or the questioner probably is um, mm-hmm. doing enough because um, this is somebody who's aware of the kind of legacy they want to leave, um, aware that their actions have a, have an impact on the future for everyone they're around. Um, and to me, it implies that this person is consciously thinking about character, building character and building wisdom and building knowledge. And I can't help but hope that if somebody is intentional enough to pause and ask the question, am I doing enough to help my family grow in character and knowledge? that they're probably doing a darn good job. Yeah, if you're already aware <laughs> that this is a question to ask, I yeah. mean, that's like step one in, like, that's a lot more probably than yeah. a lot of us are doing. Yeah. Um, I wonder, too, if, like, when I, I mean, I wonder this, too, right? I'm a pastor, and PKs get a really bad rep, and I understand why. <laughs> um, <laughs> mine happens to be really good, I, th- I think. Y'all tell me uh, if she goes off the rails in middle school. But, um I think we can look at the at what's happening around us, right? Like if you throw a rock in a pond, there are ripples in every direction. And so if you were the rock, what ripples is your life mm. making? Or what ripple is it are or is? I can't, I don't know the grammar there, but <laughs> what ripples surround your life? <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah. Um, but I also like the idea of this question. I think also the person asking this question shows us that like, Growing in character and knowledge and faith and wisdom is not an individual act. Right. The fact that, like, bringing in, like, am I I doing enough to help others grow in that way? Like, that's a very – that's showing us how much of a communal thing growing and learning and, you know, stretching ourselves. Like, all of that should be communal. Yeah. I mean, that's – what the church should be doing. That's what family should, you know. That's right. But often we've siloed ourselves to think like it is our, well, maybe this is just me being a one and being, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, being a pretty independent person. But like we've, sil- but often I think we silo ourselves in thinking we are in charge of our own growth and like yes. success and whatever that looks like. Yeah. Going back to culture and society, I think the world around us tells us that. It like, does, you know, right. You have to have the right resume. You have to have the right experience. You have to hit these benchmarks in order to get here. And, like, it's all on you to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've, in some ways, translated that to our own faith practices of, like, you have to do your quiet time. You have to pray. You have to volunteer this many times in the month. You have, you know, go mm-hmm. to church this many Sundays in a year. And, like, or those are just, you know, little metrics. But um, I think we put the pressure on ourselves to be able to do it on our own. I know I do. Yeah. But recognizing there are so many people around us who love us, yeah, who are like family, whether biologically or not, you know, yeah, um, who can help us grow in who we are and who God's made us to be and called mm-hmm. us to be, and recognizing that we're also called to help other people do that too, right? Um, as much as they will for us. That's right. I think it's also important. Uh, all that's so good, and like as you were talking. And, and we're thinking about the communal nature of whatever grows around us, whether it's our children or um, the church community or our neighborhood or whatever mm-hmm. our, our 
whatever our community is, um, it's not like a mathematical formula no. that's predictable because we're all human. And, um, and also I don't think it's always linear, um, mm-hmm. like the connection between the input and outputs, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Well, I think we also grow, we all, one, have different learning styles. Right. And we grow in different ways and the way that we inherit wisdom and knowledge and faith and all these things are each of us is an individual creative person in ourselves. Like God's mm-hmm. made us all different mm-hmm. in a good way. Right. And so we rely, like everyone's going to, that's going to translate to everybody differently, but yep. that's why there's also that beauty and it being a communal practice is mm-hmm. all those differences come together and there's can be even more growth because of that too. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, also because we don't know who's listening right now. Um, <laughs> If there's anyone listening and if your question is like a specific, almost like a parenting question, um, if you're raising young people or if you're mentoring young people in your church or whatever, um, there are a lot of resources for adopting new ways of, um, of instilling the values of, you know, of good character and knowledge and um, faith practices and things like that in your homes. And April Alston and Anna Beth, two of our ministers on staff here, Anna Beth is talking to me today and you today, but um, they specialize in this and can recommend resources and just some really easy ways to, um, to, to use ordinary moments to reinforce those, those messages of faith, character, and knowledge. Yeah, I think if it, you know, we're assuming that this person could be a parent, um, if they are, I think, and if you are asking the same question, like, recognizing you don't, you're not doing this alone either. That's right. Like, That's so good. I know so many of our parents, especially through the pandemic, they voiced it to us a couple of months ago at our parents' night out, but like, so many parents feel alone. And mm-hmm. I'm not a parent myself, but I can imagine that, especially the past couple of years, I felt, many have felt that way. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, April and I, um, in our children's and youth ministries, like want to expand our ministry with parents Mm -hmm. and recognizing we're in this together. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we're learning from each other. And we want to, like Chrissy said, provide ways to support parents and to grow with parents. And so, so families don't feel like, you know, it's my job to make this growth happen on my own. Right. Well, and then we also have to recognize, you know, like God's a big player in that too. Say, yeah, God is our partner. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's not, it's not an individual thing. It's communal mm. with each other and with God. And I think there's comfort in that. And that's probably as far as we can answer that question. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's obviously circumstantial to whatever your situation is. But I think knowing that we're not alone in that is really comforting, mm-hmm. even for me. Absolutely. I feel like a fun question. Okay. Do you? Sure. Okay, so I'm going to jump down to the bottom of our document, and um, I want to ask what someone else asked, which is, why are there more boys than girls in the Bible? <laughs> what do you Good think, Annabeth? Good question. <laughs> um, yes, we have had, I used to ask this as, you know, a few myself who felt called to ministry. This yeah. question has come up many times in many forms in yeah. my own life. Um, but you know, it's pretty evident that when you read scripture and you look at pretty much all of the Bible, um, <laughs> there's a lot more male names, characters than there are female. Yep. And, um, you know, we have to remember that the Bible was written in a very patriarchal society where women didn't have 
the freedoms that men did. Um, and so, you know, they weren't the, the scribes writing. They weren't like they, you know, they were seen as property in some ways. They yeah. were, you know, like they didn't, it, it wasn't 2023. And we mentioned that, like, they wouldn't have been able to have this conversation we're having now. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean they weren't there, though. And right. I think, you know, we pay, we have to pay extra attention to where women are named because mm-hmm. there are so many um, who are na- who are named by name, but also who are named in groups of people in um, scripture and all the stories, Old Testament and New. Mm-hmm. We were just looking at um, the stories in Exodus with the youth this past week and, you know, pointing out all the women. There are tons of women in Exodus oh, you know, yeah. who play key roles to the story happening. Right. Like, you know, you have um, Moses' sister, Pharaoh's daughter, Moses' wife, like the, yeah. the, the, all um, the midwives, midwives yeah. Shepard and Pua. You know, like there's so many and they play key roles to the whole narrative story. Yeah. And that's important to realize. And often in a lot of the circles we've been a part of, those characters are not focused on. Um, yeah, their voices the, are not valued. Yeah. Yeah. But. yeah. So it's not so much a fun thing to imagine, um, but definitely a little easier to respond to yeah. than like, you know, why do bad things happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing that I want, folks to know is that there are there are accounts written by women mm-hmm. and there are other narratives even from the ancient world that do include women in the stories of Jesus and in the stories of the early churches um, and so they're there you just have to be intentional to look for them uh, yeah. which I think is a really fun scavenger hunt to be on yes <laughs> yeah but to end our time together, we just want to kind of share some of the other questions we didn't get around to talking about, but some that may keep you thinking for the rest of your day. Um, some of other questions that were asked were, how do I help the marginalized in the best way? Mm. Um, where did God come from? That's a big one. Um, maybe we'll answer that later. I don't know. If it's we... in the prequel to Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, this is a fun one. Why did God create weird animals? And then I had to, this is definitely from the youth. Spoiler spoiler alert. Um, I had to clarify, what do you mean by weird animals? And some of those were like jellyfish, a platypus, you know, the, I guess they're weird. I don't know. Hold on. I want to interject. Okay. Because in Genesis 120, here's what it says. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly over the earth and across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. See, it was all part of the creation narrative. Um, And I think it's fun to have weird animals, you know? Yeah. Um, it's neat. And let's see. And this one, this one kind of made me chuckle a little bit, but, um, one of the questions was how many people are sleeping right now? (laughs) One of the questions that I think one of our younger people thinks about sometimes at night before they go to bed, like how many people are currently asleep? They're not implying our podcast put people to sleep. No, (laughs) surely not. Um, but it's been fun to discuss some of your questions. Um, if you're here at Greystone, we want you to know there's opportunities for the rest of the Lenten season to keep sending in questions and to provide, um, you know, your questions you ask in the dark or just questions of faith that you have. There's ways to respond to that. And if you want to know more, um, you can always talk to Chrissy or I. Um, but 
we will continue asking honest questions for the next couple of weeks on the podcast. Um, so we hope that you will keep coming back and listening and listening to our banter and discussion. Um, but it's fun for us to talk about and it's okay for us to not have answers. And we've talked about that a lot, but want to reiterate, um, this is just where we're at and where, what we've learned, um, and how we want to share. So thanks for joining us today and we'll be back next week. See you later. Bye. We will bring God's ring here and in the love of Christ be led, doing the word, making it heard. And all are welcome here, come to the table and be fed from near and far, come as you are. In the glory of God, we're building a church of men.